what everyone has done is kind of how that's a recurring theme in the way I think about literally everything. Welcome to the Way Up North podcast. This is where we get to know the speakers presenting at Europe's wedding photography conference, Way Up North. We're not interested in which apertures they use or what they carry in their camera bags. Instead, we aim to get to know them a little bit better as people. My name is Jacob, and in a few moments you'll hear my colleague Cole interviewing Sam Hurge. At the first ever Way Up North conference in Stockholm, we had Nessa Kessinger speak. Nessa is great, and uh, this time at Way Up North in Rome, it's her boyfriend's turn, Sam Hurd. We have the utmost respect for Sam and his work. He's like a wizard and thinks in ways uh, not many others do. Aside from his successful wedding photography business, he also hosts his epic workshops all around the world. That's what they're called, the epic workshop. Uh, Whether they're epic or not, I'm not really sure, but I know Sam himself is pretty epic. Anyway, here is Cole's talk with Sam. All right, man. So let's get this going here. Uh, I don't have an epic intro, but maybe maybe just start with where you are. Like physically? Sure. Men- <laughs> no, mentally. Where are you mentally? <laughs> uh, well, I am. I'm in a very good place mentally. Uh, Ness and I just got a puppy. The season is winding down. I'm almost done editing my, my last wedding of the year. I've got one one more wedding to shoot, but it's in three weeks. So it um, feels really good to kind of have some breathing room in between uh, every day <laughs> where at least the, the last few months have been kind of go, go, go constantly on an airplane or with, with just driving down to D.C. and doing stuff during the weekday. And um, it's nice to have a little how does a guy How does a guy who travels as much as you do get a puppy? just to like complicate things a little bit more. <laughs> I know. Well, that was mostly Nessa. She, she really wanted one. She's had dogs all her life and, um, she dedicated, uh, you know, the next, she marked off the next three, three months or, or I guess now two months. Cause we've had the dog about, about a month to, to not traveling. So she's home with him the most. And, uh, and then we've got some resources here where we live to, uh, after once she needs to travel with me or something like that, uh, look in after the dog for a couple days or whatever it's good to get a puppy to sort of see how the parenting could possibly be if you want oh to. my gosh <laughs> I'm yeah, just kidding. Right. It's like the last thing on my mind now because the dog is like you just hadn't had no idea but you know it's like every two hours you gotta take him out to go to the bathroom day and night you know it's like, oh my gosh yeah. but you're in dc right yeah, well, actually, um, so I'm based in D.C., technically. Uh, that's where I've lived for the last six years. But um, a year ago, Nessa and I bought a house up in the Baltimore area. And um, so we, we live up there. It's about a 50-minute drive. Um, so it's close enough to where I didn't change any of my marketing or anything like that for my weddings. And um, um, I'm actually about to buy an apartment in D.C. anyway so that we have a place to stay when we're there. Because we're there at least a couple times a week. And Nessa likes to do her sunrise sessions. And so, you know, when you're waking up that early in the morning, it's like you're it's it's going to be worth it for us to have a place there, too. So is D.C. where you're born and raised? No, no, I'm from a place called Lynchburg, Virginia. It's in central Virginia, really small city, about 80,000 people. Um, I uh, 
my mom was in the Navy, so we, we traveled around up until I was around five or six when she got out of the Navy, and uh, we just ended up in Lynchburg. I don't really know how, because we don't have any extended family there or anything, but uh, we just kind of planted there, and um, yeah, my mom's still there. And I went to college in an area of Virginia Beach, Virginia, which is a much more, much larger population. And, mm-hmm. Uh, most of the people I became friends with were from the, the DC area. So I kind of migrated up there. DC, DC, you know, strikes me as a kind of place where, I mean, I don't know much about it, so maybe I'm wrong, but it strikes <laughs> me as the kind of place you'd, you'd kind of gravitate towards and, and inherently become a little bit more political than you might've oh, thought. Yeah. So are you a fairly <laughs> political guy? Did that kind no. of get it? Like... I, I was like those first three years. Yeah. I was really into, you know, just being up on up on everything, uh, mostly because just by default, I was shooting uh, press events and, and newsmakers and luncheons and stuff that was like very relevant and completely inserted into what was happening in the uh, the actual news. Right. I would hear something happening live in front of me that would then be later on the you know afternoon news on CNN and stuff like that. So um, just by default, I was around it a lot. But, uh, you know, there's only so much you can really take of that unless you're literally working for a you know politician or the government in some way and uh yeah i just kind of turned it all off after a couple years and just i don't even watch the news anymore it's it's um and and one thing that I, i learned pretty quickly was that they it would be reported in a completely different way than it actually happened right i would be sitting in these press conferences watching the news unfold in front of me straight from the horse's mouth and then they would, they would cut bits and pieces of it up to be used in whatever way best suited that news organization whether it was cnn fox any of the big ones and uh and that was just very disheartening to me and it, and it just made me realize i you just literally can't trust anything that you see um even positive news would be spun in a way that like wasn't accurate <laughs> um so yeah i just quickly unplugged from all that so right now like again it's just like a stereotype i have in my head but like are you is it constant kind of chatter about pol- like politics even like especially right now with what's going on at the u.s election like would you you know sit around and talk about like okay no more muslims are coming into our country now because of donald trump like is it like small talk constantly (laughs) in that area well uh no i don't i don't think so and uh, i mean maybe with like younger kids maybe i don't know and like red like the college age ones that like have nothing else to do but get upset about stuff but uh, i think most people in dc know that i've seen enough and covered enough events where these politicians are like, you know, speaking and addressing the audience and stuff. These are all completely scripted. Like, even if it feels like it's not, it is done with a plan and intention. And it is basically like show business. I mean, it truly is these politicians getting up there and, and they know exactly what they're doing. And it's not this off the cuff thing that like, you know, he, Anyway, so uh, you learn to kind of ignore it, and and it's not like a huge deal. Now, when actual laws come to pass and like things change in legislation, then then I would say it's a little more talked about because then it's like straight up going to affect you directly, or you know. So you so you just talk about the puppy now, and you leave the politics out when uh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, you must have like Nessa's not at all into politics, so you know. Oh no. Uh, yeah, she and I, we don't talk about any of that stuff at all. So. I remember yeah. uh, I remember uh, a couple of years ago, you presented at um, Canada Photo Convention, which is a, a great event in Vancouver. Uh, it was 2013. 
and uh, your presentation was quite different than everyone else's. It, it seemed straight off the hop that that you knew it. You were first time speaking anything like that. So, <laughs> well, that that's perfect. Then that segues nicely because I remember you were the only guy who sat in a chair, and you seemed to have you know you seemed to know what you're doing, even if you say you didn't. So, when you're around that kind of political environment and things like that, like did you, did you? get exposed to certain things that kind of change you as like a, like a person, would you say like oh, pre presenting, for example? Absolutely. Um, and that was, act that's a really good observation. Uh, with the, um, so one of the things I noticed there, there was a clear difference between like a really good, uh, speaker, uh, or a person that was like addressing the press and, and somebody that wasn't. And, and it was all in like these subtle details. Uh, some of the most memorable people that I know, uh, that, that stick out in my head, never, ever spoke behind a podium. They always, uh, either just took the mic out in their hand or like had, uh, somebody put a, you know, wireless mic on their head and would walk around the stage and, and be right in front of people. And, um, and anyway, with, with the CPC thing, I noticed like everybody was just kind of speaking behind a podium or whatever. And the light was the same for every single person. So I asked if they could make it like a different color. And so they made it like this rainbow, hue behind me mm. which is cool and then uh i don't really know what inspired the seat thing except that it was the opposite of, of everything everyone was doing everyone was standing and it's like well i'm just gonna sit the whole time <laughs> even though it's not in my nature i tend to really like to like talk or uh talk and walk at the same time i'm a big walker when i'm trying to think about things and uh but anyway uh, that that like doing the opposite of what everyone has done is kind of how that's a recurring theme in the way I think about literally everything. Um, well, and, and well, on that, that's that's kind of interesting. So, if you're that way, do you sometimes be that way just for the sake of it? Oh, and yeah. what I mean, what I mean is, <laughs> even if it's not something you're particularly interested in, you you just see that it's not happening and it's opposite, so you're going to go for it. And yeah, sometimes, and sometimes it's probably frustrating or just annoying. But um, yeah, I mean, it's like. Uh, I talk about it in my workshops a good bit, how like, to me, if you're trying to be different and differentiate and stick out in people's mind, like the easiest, most logical way to do that is to literally do the exact opposite of what that person is doing. And of course, that's not always going to work, but it's always like my starting point. And then I kind of iterate down from there to where it actually like makes sense for, you know, the given idea. Um, but yeah, all the time, everything I do tends to kind of have this like, what? okay, why isn't he doing it the other way <laughs> or she or whatever? But, so yeah. before you got into uh, what you're doing now and or maybe it was around the same time, you're in a you're in a band called the Prisms. Yeah, just Prisms. No, the yeah. OK, Prisms. <laughs> sorry for the people using iTunes. So good. if you're in a you're in a band and you're around, you know, the press photography scene and you're, you know, you're doing well in the photography world. These are all sort of things that kind of like make your head stick out from the ground a little bit and, and kind of put the spotlight on you a little bit. So do you feel like you're the kind of guy who kind of thrives in the spotlight? Um, uh, it's weird. It's this weird contrast, I think, where um, I, I hate, I'm very introverted. Uh, if I'm out in a you know group of people or whatever, I tend to be the, the more quiet one, unless it's people I'm very, very close with or... or know enough that I can like ask them a lot of questions. I mean, I guess it's changed a lot after, you know, running my own business and having to do, I don't know, I've probably done 300 client meetings, you know, which are basically job interviews over and over. So that certainly helps with the whole, like, you know, dealing with social awkwardness 
aspect of my personality. But, um, yeah, I mean, I grew up playing uh, violin and from the very first year that you play, um, they make you go and do a solo right in front of like all the parents in the school and all that. It's probably like a five, 10 minute solo, but from, you know, seven years old up until the end of grade school, when I was like 18, I was doing that every year. And, um, yeah, my, the, one of the most comfortable places I ever remember being throughout my, you know, developmental years was on stage. Once the music finally started, I just felt awesome and I could just play and I was never nervous. Of course I was nervous going up to it, but, um, I was always thinking about how good it's going to feel when I'm, when I'm finally playing. Well, that, that <laughs> and, sounds terrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird, I guess. Um, so yeah, I, I do love that. Like the, and I always talk like, you know, when, when Nessa was just at way up North, she was you know nervous and, and about starting. And I was like, I guess it's easier to say this from the outside looking in, but I was like, really enjoy that feeling. It's really rare, you know, in everyday life that you get that like nervous butterfly thing that, um, I love that feeling. And, you know, the more you do something, the less that actually comes across. And so those instances or those, you know, opportunities where that, that comes up to like really be put out of your comfort zone and like have that like, kind of nervous anxiety I, I really love because it's like you're never going to feel like that again like the next time you speak in front of a group of people it'll be a little less exciting because you've already done it right and I've done probably like 35 workshops now and I used to I used to get that same feeling before every workshop and now it's kind of like you know I love workshops but that that like awesome nervous feeling is gone yeah so <laughs> that kind of sucks no but that... same with weddings and same with engagement sessions I, that that feeling is, is subsided and that was a lot of what like used to drive me to like uh, push myself and now I have to find other things because you know I don't really get nervous anymore I've done it enough <laughs> yeah. so if you're a seven-year-old with a violin doing a solo and you know you kind of like you're growing up a little bit and you become a teenager and then you you kind of get a little bit more self self-awareness around that time in your life is that feeling of uh, nervous excitement or, or whatever the right word would be is that something that you kind of thought of when you decided which career path you were going to pursue uh, not really. I don't know. I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, when I, I mean, I kind of fell into photography. It was, um, uh, did you know. do, did you do anything else before photography? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I worked every, um, uh, for my university when I, when I was in school, I, I, I worked constantly, uh, for the school, for the, I was, I majored in computer science and I worked for their, um, their networking team and their IT department and all that. So I always had a job, but, uh, it wasn't like full time. My first full time salary job, you know, that wasn't like technically it was being a lifeguard in high school, but I don't really count that, <laughs> you know, over the summers, but my first full time, like this is what I'm doing was, was a photographer, uh, working at this place called the national press club. Um, and it was a super kind of risky jump. I got a job offer working. Uh, I interviewed the same day for the National Press Club doing their uh, photography and being on staff there. Uh, and then later that day, I interviewed for this uh, NASA contractor. I think they were called Science Systems and Technical Incorporated, something really lame. But, uh, you know, it paid twice as much and it would have been doing you know stuff relevant to my degree. And, uh, you know, I interviewed really well and they, they really liked me and, and I got offers from both. But it's like, you know, how 
how rare must it be even back then six or seven years ago to have an opportunity to do photography and get a salary check with benefits and all that so i went for that not knowing anything about photography really other than my my kind of personal landscape work which as you probably know is is a completely different thought process to like portraiture and, and photographing people right i started with my nikon d50 and the kit lens it came with because <laughs> uh, I literally didn't know like a prime lens was or what like a, an aperture of f1.8 or 1.4 would do for me. So it was a little scary, but like it was great because I like quickly learned, um, you know, <laughs> what I needed to know to keep up with um, the environments that I was shooting in there. Well, like since I've kind of got to know you over the years, we've, we've met a few times and you've always struck me as a, a guy who's, you know, well smoke, spoken and, and intelligent. And to to get that type of job with with the press club that you got, do you feel like you got it because of you're kind of like an intelligent, well spoken guy, or or did you have like the goods to back it up? Because it oh, it doesn't it was, seem to me like you kind of get that job. <laughs> it was know. my personality for sure. I, th I think, uh, yeah, it was not my my resident. Well, I mean. I present myself very well. I was a very poor student. I didn't excel academically at all. I really hated school and everything about it. Um, I'm a very visual learner. One of the things that gravitated me to, to doing programming in computer science is the fact that like, I, I get instant results and like visually there's some like instant feedback and like that made sense to me. But at the same time, I hated school and I hated classroom learning from books and, and all that. I wasn't a great student, but I, I definitely know how to present myself well. Like my resume when I sent it out to these, you know, job places, uh, was stellar. Like <laughs> it looked awesome, even though like, you know, my GPA was whatever. And, you know, I had good experience, good because I worked every year. Um, but yeah, it was mostly because of my personality for sure. I didn't have amazing pictures. I had never even photographed people like at all. Um, so well, that's, I, I mean, we don't need to dwell on it too much, but it seems kind of interesting to me that you just like kind of get, you know, thrust it into this high pressure, you know, the pressure cooker of a environment for <laughs> photography. That That's how I envisioned it, at least. Is it actually yeah. that way? Yeah. I mean, in, well, it was kind of interesting. Like they'd never had a staff photographer before. So I was, uh, you know, it was a situation where the person I was reporting to wasn't a photographer himself. He was just a, the manager of, you know, one section of the business. And um, I could kind of do what I want in a lot of ways. And um, the only photography they were consistently getting in to use as content for their websites and stuff as a business was from like members of the press club that were volunteering their time. And many of these people weren't professional photographers themselves. They were like old photojournalists that just not necessarily old, but retired, um, that just had some extra time. And so the bar wasn't very high anyway for quality. Perfect. And, uh, from, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> for, for me. So, but I was shooting like shoulder to shoulder with, uh, people that were freelance because these most of these events were open to the public and other news organizations so i was you know side by side with all these freelance photographers where the quality was incredibly high and their their you know means of income was dictated by how quickly and how uh mostly how quickly their stuff was sent out on the wire and then how much better their angle or their composition was compared to the guy literally sitting right next to them so being side by side with those guys it was like well i'm glad i don't have to like compete with them directly for money or anything but like quality wise i instantly knew where i needed to be well, and saw the equipment they were using and was like okay now I, need, I know what i need to do so so you're do you feel like you're kind of like a guy who just um kind of read and reacts to scenarios and and what i mean with that is like uh are you planning far ahead with things or are you kind of like more of the, of the moment 
and when you see an opportunity, you attack it or, or what kind of like personality do you have in the, in, in that way? Definitely retroactive. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. You said it perfectly. Uh, even in the way that I like approach weddings and everything, it's, I try and minimize the amount of planning and an idea that I have, uh, for, for most everything I do. Um, do you it's think that, because, do you think that maybe, sorry to, to cut you off, but do you think that yeah. maybe comes from, uh, the way you were raised? You said your mom was in the Navy, which in my head, like my mom was an army brat and it, maybe it's not the exact same thing, but they're in that type of living environment, you're moving around constantly. So planting roots is not something you're too keen on doing, for example. So do you think maybe there's some, uh, character elements that emerge from, from the way you were raised? Ah, that's interesting. I, I, want to say no the military wasn't like a huge part of my life because by the time I was five or six my mom was done with it and uh she was in you know for the minimum amount of time I think was five years right so yeah I don't think it was any I don't know where it comes from honestly I have to really reflect on myself for that (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it's just uh yeah I don't know I I like I like improvising I like the idea of improvisation and I like the um the elements and the um, the variables being defined for me, like right then and there, and then I can then I know what to do with it, or you know, then I have a direction kind of laid out in front of me. So you've been you've been doing uh, like your own thing outside of the press club for a while now, I guess, right? Like, what? How many years ago did yeah. you start doing that? Well, I started weddings. No, was, no, the press club thing. Oh, uh, press club was uh, 2008. Oh, Jesus. So it's been yeah. a while. Yeah. Okay, so like, what do you think you know about yourself now that you didn't um, when you started the, started with that gig? Um, no, I'm not. Oh, well, it was interesting. Since that was my first environment ever working for a business with like your traditional business structure and people that you report to and, and, and all this kind of stuff, um, I, and because I was like the only one at the, at the place that had the job that I had, (laughs) no, like no one else was doing what I was. Um, I had a very interesting kind of perspective on everything where like every issue or problem that came up, like affected everyone else, but not me. And I feel like I could clearly see room for improvement, literally, literally like the business side of things, um, that I was just never aware of like ever in, um, in college or grade school. I had no idea how businesses ran or, um, how communication and management like worked. And that's actually probably the biggest thing I took away from the press club was like how all those things worked. I mean, I basically reported to the the very top of the chain, the director of the press club, um, which was unusual because mostly it was like the managers of other people that reported to him. And here I am, you know, a 21 year old kid basically that like, you know, every conversation I was having was with the director of the press club, the, the head guy the very top guy so i got a really a lot of behind the scenes like interesting knowledge from that um that you know going into it i had no idea about and now i find very useful just in running my own business and everything okay i see so uh, back to prisms kind of like jumping all over here like (laughs) it's cool like was that is that serious for you or was it ever serious for you or is this just like a oh yeah definitely well okay it's yeah, it's funny. If I, if I if somebody picked up the phone and called me today and was like, "Hey, you know, we we heard your record. We want to uh we want to send you guys on tour. Um we have some actual money to invest in you guys behind it. Um let's go for it." I would 
I would do everything in my power to make that happen. Not that I would like cancel my weddings or whatever, but like that is, that is something I've always wanted to do is just be a professional musician. So it's funny. I get to be a professional photographer, which is so many people's like dream. Uh, and here I am. I want to like be a musician still, but, um, you know, prisms has been around for like over 10 years now. And, uh, we, it was just kind of, it just keeps going because it can, like we all ended up moving to the DC area after school. So we rented a, an awesome practice space in the middle of the city, which is basically an old converted warehouse room. Um, and, uh, we practice every week and, and it's mostly just for songwriting for ourselves. We don't play shows as much anymore. Just, you have to do that on the weekend and my weekends are pretty much always spoken for. And, um, uh, one of my best friends, Nathan Mitchell, is also a wedding photographer, and he's the singer and guitarist. So between us, shows aren't really a thing anymore. No. So we put a lot of money into it, the equipment and the recording and all that. But it's you know, it's under the like assumption that it's probably not gonna really do anything. Okay. <laughs> just, okay. Yeah. So interesting. So I don't know. I'm just like picking pieces here from from what I'm hearing you say, and it sounds like you you had a pretty artistic upbringing. If you're playing a violin in front of a audience at seven. I mean, that seems pretty good. You know, it's funny though. Well, go ahead. Sorry. I'll let no, you, know. you go ahead. Go ahead. The, the reason I started playing violin wasn't even because my mom or, or anything was like, yeah, you should, you know, this is important. You should learn how to do this. It was because my neighbor, we lived in an apartment complex and my neighbor across the hall from me was this girl named Carmen. And all I remember was that she was a year younger than me and she was getting into violin and I had to do it because I had to beat her at it. It was a competitive thing. I was just like, I'm going to do that too. I can do it better than you. <laughs> uh, and, and so I just started and then I just really took to it. I learned quickly and I, and I loved it. Uh, but there was nothing drawing me to like music other than just like, I want to beat this neighbor. <laughs> I, I, joined, I joined my high school band to, and I played bass. I didn't play bass only so I could start dating a girl. Yeah. So... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's probably irrelevant. It probably Let's keep it about you though here. But um, well, it, from what you said there, it kind of like sounds like you kind of had a competitiveness uh, when you were young, and now kind of, you know, if I'm to like stereotype what I what I see with you online now, you seem like you're still a pretty competitive guy, uh, and you know you're pretty strong opinionated. You have a lot of strong opinions about a lot of things. It, it seems like, um, do you do you consciously be opinionated? as yeah. much as you can. And if you do like, are you actually like that in real life? <laughs> no, I, I hope not. No, I, and I don't walk around like engaging people in like, you know, what do you think of this? Well, this is what I think. And this is why I'm right. I hopefully, <laughs> I don't think I ever do that uh, in person. I do it online. Mostly it kind of came from the fact that like when I started doing those, um, that portrait series of celebrities in, uh, from the, the press club work that I did. Uh, and I started writing about it and putting the, what I was doing out there. I got a shit ton of criticism, tons, uh, about the technical things, about the like, expression or the technique or, or like, why is only one eye in focus and the other one isn't because I was using a technique called freelancing and, um, you know, why is the lighting and the composition weird? Well, I did it for a reason. Um, you can like it or you don't, but don't tell me that it's what it is. Cause I can see that. Like, uh, so I got so much criticism from that, um, that I at first thought, well, this is crap. I need to stop putting stuff out there cause people hate it. And then I realized like it didn't matter. Like the traffic and the, the, um, my presence was being, you know, put more and more into like the internet ether and that for better or for worse has a return and so um a lot of my like straight up like one or two sentence like this is what i believe and i'm right <laughs> uh isn't necessarily like the, 
totally how I feel, but it's just a way for me to ruffle some feathers. Basically, I like kind of making people think, uh, hopefully about something. And, um, you know, unfortunately it never turns into like a, a gentleman's engagement in the comments of whatever I'm talking about. Right. It always like spirals into, you know, uh, who knows what, like everybody gets deeply ingrained into their own perspective. And, you know, unfortunately nothing really seems to come of it like, uh, directly, but, uh, I feel like ruffling those feathers from time to time, just, just kind of, uh, puts my hand into the pot of the internet a little bit. And, yeah, and con- controversy me- breeds attention. Yeah, but you have to do it in a way that hopefully you don't make people like straight up hate you. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, uh, yeah. So, do, well, do you, th- do you feel like you're, you think of your online persona like in a, in a strategic way at all? Or, or do you just let, like, how do you perceive yourself online and, and what do you, what direction do you kind of try and steer yourself online? Um, I don't, uh, I mean, I guess my, my biggest presence in social media is, is my Facebook business page and that I'm very, uh, you know, it's basically 100% about my wedding business or, or photography business. And I, I try and only show my, my very best work or my, my favorite images or the images that have like a really particular technique behind them and, and just kind of give just enough information about what's going on that hopefully people are like, Oh, I want to follow this guy in case he gives a little more information later on or something like that in a different post. Um, well, okay. And, that, that's, I don't know. That, yeah. That, that's okay. That kind of like sparked an idea in my head about you because like, you know, yourself, um, the work that you do, some of it is, uh, well, it's unique and it's a lot of it's kind of innovative and you do some crazy shit, which is cool. Like, but you do, you do enough crazy shit and, and people like might pigeonhole you as the guy who, yeah. who does that. So, yeah. you know, this yourself, and I'm sure you've been asked this before, but I, I've never heard you answer it. Like, how do you deal with the expectations of the, the couples who think you're going to be the guy doing the crazy stuff all the time? You know, and that's, <laughs> that's maybe like the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's just a, that's really interesting. Um, because I, I, specifically don't want to align myself with any basically it comes I, I try and fight that by like diversifying the number of idea of ideas that I have and the specific techniques that I use right I, I very first thing that I talked about and shared and kind of discovered for myself was the whole like shooting through a prism pretty simple thing but from what I had you know, researched and come up with and seen up until that point, no one had ever really used this particular specific idea. And um, so what I started noticing was like, yeah, everybody was like, oh, you know, can you can you do a prism shot during our session? And I was like that. Then I immediately didn't want to do it. I always want to do something that like is going to surprise my clients and um, and and kind of have have them have no idea where it's going to come from. So as soon as they started asking me like, Oh, you know, can you do prisming? I was like, I wouldn't want to do it. I mean, of course I would, but I started to try and diversify. So I, I don't want to ever be known for like Sam. He does the prism thing. Like he always has a prism on him. He always, <laughs> always is shooting through it. Like rarely, honestly, do I really use it that often anymore because I have four or five other things that I've tried to like identify with what I do. And, um, you know, they're not all like totally crazy visually like, stuff going on some of it's really simple just playing with the physics through like anamorphic lenses and stuff like that but i i want it to be just enough like in my portfolio online mixed in with stuff where it's just really good composition and really good light and then a few like kind of peppering in my portfolio of interesting techniques that people have this expectation that it's going to be really cool 
creative portraits that probably isn't going to be the same as, you know, from one wedding to the next. But, um, but that there's no one thing that I'm definitely going to do every wedding. You don't have so. the, the secret move every time. No, <laughs> no, totally not. Yeah. So you, you um, studied engineering. Is that what you said? Computer science. Yeah. Computer science. So like that must've, you know, that must've complemented your photography in a big way. If you're using, you know, a lot of these techniques involve, you know, studying light and different lenses and things like that. Did, did it breathe naturally into your photography? Would you say? Uh, probably more on the technical side of everything with the post-processing workflow and, uh, just kind of working the images after the fact, I got to say probably way more than the actual like inception, like come up with the, the content, the actual photos as I'm making them. Uh, that's been a big struggle. And for a while I leaned on post-processing a lot to make up for the fact that I didn't know how to pose and I didn't know how to read a scene and, and find the interesting or the really good light. Um, and so that photo making side, uh, you know, in the camera really took some, some time to develop at least about three years until I was getting consistently good, like stuff that I felt was, was good. Um, but yeah, I mean all the business side and the, the post-processing and all the workflow and Lightroom side definitely, uh, helped that I studied computers. <laughs> so if like, forget about photography for a while here, uh, like what do you, if you go to a bar and you meet someone, you know, a dude or whatever, a friend, like, like, what do you like when you get rid of all the photography stuff when you, you know, screw the 70,000 Facebook followers or whatever mm -hmm. you have, like what, what, what kind of interest do you have outside of this world that sort of consumes you a little bit or, it do, you know, it does to everyone who works as self-employed photographers. So what do you do to release? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. And I try and actively like pull that out of other photographers whenever I hang out with them, especially photographers that I look up to and follow. I'm like, what do you do outside of photography? It's like, oh, I don't know. And don't um, say photography. <laughs> no, no. Uh, mostly music. I mean, if you could see my room right here, I've got like a pretty extensive mic collection, an, an electronic drum kit, uh, like five or six guitars, a bass guitar. Um, and, and I spent uh, most of my college years, you know, if I wasn't in school or in class, I was recording records with bands. So if anybody has any any amount of interest in uh, audio engineering, that's immediately what I latch on to and All right on. talk about. Yeah, I love it. It's, it's um, yeah, it's awesome. So, uh, and mixing and all that, and, and there's so many interesting parallels between audio engineering and uh, photography. It's kind of mind-blowing. A lot of the decision-making and the process is totally the same. <laughs> um, so honestly, uh, that informed my photography way more than like computer science ever did, uh, with learning how to like make a good mix and balance the EQ and like the, the compression and, um, you know, the spacing and the panning and, and all that stuff. It's like infinitely more complicated than photography in my opinion, and totally overlaps with like your mic choice, depending on your, uh, your instrument that you want to record and the direction that the mic picks up a signal and, and you know the the pickup pattern and all that totally parallels to like your lens choice and what you want in a scene and the dynamic range and the high ISO of the sensor you're using like exactly correlates to how a preamp works like powering a microphone and its noise level and all this crazy stuff um so anyway i kind of going on a huge tangent but that's the kind of stuff i love to talk about audio for sure and then of course movies i watch a lot of movies and i'm not a huge like film buff like i can barely remember actor names or anything like that but um i love i love uh just analyzing like 
scenes and, and movies and, you know, overarching themes and hidden meanings and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's great. Well, it feels to me like you're kind of like, I don't know, you're almost like just like living exactly the way you want to be living. And, you know, and what I mean by that is you're doing, you love photography, that's what you're doing. You love the, you, mis- you love music and creating audio, that's what you're doing. And everything seems to be kind of perfect and shit. Now you even have a cat. So like things are good in your world, but do you feel like kind of like a guy who, um, who gets complacent or content or what kind of like, what kind of drive do you have as, a, as an individual? Do you think? Um, hmm. I've always kind of been working on stuff, like making stuff, uh, you know, before, Gosh, I mean, since I got my very first microphone and, and guitar and all that in high school, like all I ever did in my free time was record records and write songs. And then that's all I really did in my free time in college. And then uh, I, that's, I tried to make money doing that while I was doing the photography thing. But then, then I discovered that the photography was almost just as fun and, and I could actually make a lot more money from that. And I've just always, I don't know, right now it's been kind of an endless source of, of inspiration and, and incoming work that I've never even had to think about. Like, am I getting bored with this? <laughs> um, yeah. And with photography specifically, I don't know if that's what you meant, but like I actively try not to have a specific client that I work with in the hopes that, um, I'm never bored with the people and the environments that I'm working in. Right. Uh, I know a lot of photographers like to really have a very specific type of person they like to shoot and work with and somebody that they're, they could be best friends with or like go have a drink with and hang out regularly, you know, where like the chemistry is just firing on all cylinders. But I like still getting, you know, regular influx of clients that are just from a completely different planet than me, totally different, like, um, level of income or job type or whatever, because I feel like it, even if, they tend to be a little more difficult to work with. It keeps it interesting for me and I never feel bored or like I'm, I'm kind of seeing the same thing week after week. Um, I don't know. So I, I've never felt complacent. You know? Okay. It almost feels like bohemian in a way, like the cool lifestyle you've got going on. And I'm curious, is, is, is that what it's like in DC? Is that, is it like a, <laughs> is it like a place people kind of migrate to yeah. be that way? Like, what is yeah. it like, what is it like living there? That's one of the things I love about it, honestly, uh, is that, it's it doesn't have a big art scene in any way. It's got a pretty cool music scene, but it's a different kind of music than I'm into, really. And uh, um, no, it's not like that. I mean, so we live in Baltimore now, so our day to day stuff is up here. It's a little more blue collar, and like it's got a really good art school uh, called MICA that um, is is pretty pretty well known. But um, it's not. That's one of the things I like about it. I feel very different in this area. Like uh, I'm not surrounded by tons of like hipsters that all are photographers or all are in bands and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of just a few of us. And, uh, and you know, I like that. Well, that's the, it sounds like the best way to find your place is by. Yeah. Well, and that was, it made it really easy for me to stick out in the DC area. Uh, you know, when I started, uh, I, I definitely drew heavily on a lot more like West coast photographers as far as what I was looking for, for inspiration and, and what I liked in wedding work. And, uh, people around here just weren't doing that at all. It's, it's a little more common now. A lot of just the Pacific Northwest vibe has just overtaken the world. I feel like <laughs> sociality Barbie. <laughs> yes. So that's trickling out even more here, but it's not like this crazy, like, uh, incubator of awesome stuff. No, DC is very, uh, most of my clients are lawyers. Most of them, 
like my photos because they like the creative stuff, but they're not like huge Wes Anderson fans themselves and they don't like the same kind of music as I do or any of that stuff. They're just totally, you know, uh, like yuppie lawyer types. <laughs> but they know what they like and they see it. They may not even know what they like in my work, but they just like what they what they see and, and I can I can bring that out of them and I can make that happen. And so, you know, everybody's happy. Yeah. Okay. Happy. That, that's a good segue that word because I'm like watching, I'm, we're doing this uh, conversation video style so I can see you and I see your apartment. It's nice. And you're like just a happy guy. And, and I'm like, <laughs> kind of like trying to evaluate all this and it, it doesn't seem to me like you're a guy who has much conflict going on in your life. Like, do you, have you ever? No, man, I am an endless optimist. I do mean, you smoke a course... lot of pot. <laughs> no, 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, um, I don't know really where that comes from other than like I, I, every, every issue that pops up, I, of course I get angry and frustrated and Nessa will tell you like, mm. you know, especially if I'm in line at an airport, lines are like my, my kryptonite. If I have to wait <laughs> for something in a line, uh, I become kind of insanely angry, not like outwardly, but just internally, I'm just like boiling. But other than that, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just try and always see the upside in everything. Some of that, I actually listened to this um, radio uh, uh, personality. His name is Clark Howard, and he's, he's big. He's out of Atlanta, Georgia. And I grew up listening to him probably since I was like, I don't know, 14 or 15, and I discovered talk radio. And he's just this incredibly inspiring individual. Who, all he talks about is personal finance and money and like how to make smart decisions with it. And... Um, I don't know something about the way that he's always perceived of, um, you know, his clients and his business and like the way that he runs his life rubbed off on me big time where, uh, you could, there's always an upside, you know, it, at least it's not as bad as this. <laughs> it's, it's kind of the way I always think about things. Um, so I, yeah, I, you know, there's not anything, um, well, yet. No, I, that, that, I, to, I mean, it sounds like a good life, uh, outlook, I guess we want to think of it that way. Well, okay. And some of that, you know, I don't want to get like into personal life too much, but, uh, well, my, if we don't, then I'm failing. <laughs> my upbringing was, was not great. It was, it was pretty tough. Um, you know, uh, my, my mom was a single mom raising my sister and I, um, she, she retired from the Navy with post-traumatic stress or, you know, whatever. She was hundred percent disabled, so she couldn't maintain a job. She got benefits from the government and everything, but, um, so we, we could put food on the table, but you know, we, it was pretty tough and there were, there were some issues with, um, you know, addiction and, and, and all sorts of crazy stuff that I experienced very young and very early on. Uh, and ever since that, like, well, at least it's not as bad as it was then, like for sure. Like it's only been up since, since kind of like, you know, hitting rock bottom at certain points, uh, growing up with my family. Um, and in a lot of ways that was like just the biggest blessing for me, uh, because it's like, uh, nowhere near that anymore. So anyway, that, well, you didn't like, did you grow up with a single mother or did you, you haven't mentioned your dad? Yeah, no, I've, I've never met my father. He, uh, I, I don't, I've seen a picture of him, but uh, no, it was I'm not sure what happened there, except that, you know, my mom has, has never wanted to be married. And, and uh, um, yeah, it, it's just never been part of our lives. So, um, uh, well, well, we don't need to get, you know, continue yeah. on this, but you mentioned, hit, <laughs> you, you mentioned hitting rock bottom and drugs, but was that you? No, no, it wasn't me. Oh, okay. Wasn't me. Yeah, other other family family folks so um yeah not me uh and and but 
you know, it, it affected me directly and, um, it's, uh, definitely informed and, and shaped everything about my life since then. And, you know, I was, I was never supposed to go to college. Honestly, I probably should have just gone to the military and just done whatever the military told me to do. <laughs> uh, that was always like my mom's plan. Like, well, you know, you're not very good at school. You, you can probably, you know, you should just look into joining the, the Air Force. And I was in the ROTC in high school, which is like the Reserve Office Training Corps, which is like your, it was a class that literally, an elective class you sign up for, but that puts you on the path to then joining the military and, and doing that whole career. That was my plan. Um, and I just happened to get into college and then fell into computers because I'd always liked them. And, you know, do you feel like, do you feel like uh, maybe those experiences when you were young, um, whatever they were, we'll leave that. We'll leave that for you and your, uh-huh. your, but like, do you feel like those things kind of placed a little bit of anger inside you that kind of like motivates you or maybe anger is not the right word, but did it place something inside you that drives you today? Hmm. Uh, definitely not anger. No way. Wrong word. Then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If anything, I think it was like a good thing. Like I'm trying to think about if I ever have kids, like how I can make life really hard for them <laughs> so that they ultimately grow up and appreciate it. Uh, but in a way that like they still love me and think I was a good parent. right? So no, I think it's, yeah, I don't really know how to answer that. Well, that's okay. That's okay. Maybe it's it's outlandish. Maybe we're maybe this is your life. You know, we're going too deep. <laughs> this is your life. <laughs> yeah, but I'm I'm by far the luckiest person I've ever met. A lot of the opportunities that I have, uh, just pure pure luck. And I kind of knew what to do with the opportunity when it was presented to, with me or to me, and uh, and I just ran with it. Um, do you believe so, in creating your own luck? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, you kind of have to be in the right place at the right time to begin with to, to take advantage of a lot of things. Um, uh, so, well, okay, yeah. maybe, maybe on that, like maybe a better way or more interesting to me, uh, way of asking that is, do you, do you think there's a greater skill in creating your luck or do you think it's the, the real skill is identifying the luck and how to react to it when it's there? Definitely the identification part of it for sure. Yeah. Um, like that's a skill set into itself. I think it's just recognizing the opportunity to begin with <laughs> and then knowing what to do with it. Um, yeah. And can you think of hard, a, an example that that's happened? Yeah. With you? It's hard for me to think of too many specifics, but the, the biggest one is, is obviously the, the opportunity with, with all these celebrities that I was constantly around, um, and being able to photograph them for my own personal, uh, perspective and, and approach. Uh, you know, I made that happen. It wasn't something that was asked of me to do. I just was like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to take advantage of this. Uh, and what can I do to do that? Well, I'm going to do an actual portrait where they're like totally camera aware. And, um, yeah, that was something that totally, you know, I, I facilitated. So maybe you should explain what we're talking about. Cause I know what we're talking about with the portrait uh-huh. series you did, but maybe in like two sentences, you can just like say what it yeah. is. So, um, the press club is a hundred year old organization that I was the only staff photographer for, right? Um, because it was so such a big deal in DC, it tended to be the place where most celebrities would go to spread, uh, you know, news and, and generate some buzz about a topic or organization that they were aligned with. And, um, because I was the only staff photographer there, I was the one that had most of the behind the scenes access and the, the brief few minutes of downtime between, you know, one thing to the next. And, uh, generally, in the beginning, it was just kind of me and, and that's this person waiting around for the next thing to start. And so I was like, well, geez, 
these people don't care about what I have to say. You know, they don't care about small talk with Sam. <laughs> um, I should take this advantage, you know, this, I should take this time to do something cool with it. And, uh, you know, under a crazy set of constraints and a totally different approach than how I do everything else in my photography, make an image, you know, with studio lights and given whatever wall or corner that we, we had in the, the space that we were in make a cool portrait in a way that hopefully these people have never been photographed before. And so anyway, that series is something that's on my website and, and, you know, I, I write about in detail there, but, uh, that whole approach and taking advantage of that time with them was just something that, um, you know, I, I recognized the opportunity for and kind of made happen. So you've, tra you've become uh, quite a traveler, um, you know, at least from when I first kind of started to get to know you a few years ago, it seems like this past year, especially, uh, you've been maniacal on the road. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, what's, what's kind of like push that? Um, well, I've always traveled. Uh, so any, the little bit of photography I had done before working at the press club was, uh, with my best friend from growing up. Uh, we've been best friends since like seven years old, you know, it's like that whole, I'm very lucky to have him in my life, but we got into photography at the same time in high school and we went to different colleges. He was very, very smart. He's a, he's a doctor now. Right. So we went totally different planets for, for education. And, uh, but to stay connected every summer, uh, we would try and plan a trip. To, we went, uh, you know, your, your kind of stereotypical uh, backpacking trip through Europe for three weeks uh, one summer. And then we went again the next summer. And then we went to Costa Rica the next summer and New Zealand. And that's really where that whole like travel bug uh, kind of bit me early on right around college. And um, yeah, it was. Uh, but it's been woven been... into your business now. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> totally. Is it pure? Like, is that like consciously or? Yeah, sort of. I mean, my biggest thing is like, okay, if I have most of my clients still, I would say at least 50% are, are local DC weddings that I'm shooting or within an hour or two drive. So they're within this region. And my whole perspective has always been like, if these people that are considering me, you know, hiring me for their wedding, see that I can travel you know, a lot and shoot weddings in other countries, like clearly he can like handle our wedding that's like down the street from where he lives right i think that just imparts some layer even if it's subconscious of confidence yeah. uh, from my clients that want to book me and uh and i always i've always liked that i always tried to i don't want to travel for every wedding i I've, i we kind of mentioned earlier i'm kind of sick of being in an airplane but um <laughs> i think it does reinforce like people's uh confidence in you as a person and photographer to be able to handle that with uh, with all the travel you've been doing and you know, kind of like your your broad outset on on life, like you seem like you have a lot of interest in various things. Like, do you see yourself <laughs> staying where you are now? Is that home for good, or have you kind of got got <laughs> wanderlust? Mess of this. No, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's um, I I we bought our house and it's the first home we ever bought, and uh, uh, it's my favorite place on earth. If I'm not shooting a wedding which is my second favorite place to be, uh, no matter what wedding, that's like my favorite place to be. It's, it's at home with Nessa. Like we found kind of the perfect house. It's, you know, Baltimore has its drawbacks. Like we can't walk to, I would prefer to live somewhere where we could walk a lot more yeah. and, and do all that. We're definitely in the suburbs of, of the city, but, um, I love our home for sure. So I'm hoping we're here for a while. And I like the DC area. Like it's, it's fantastic. Um, just, in a diversity perspective. But there's no so hipsters. Have, right. It's you know, perfect. Some, 
That's but perfect. like you have like the center of DC, which is very, you know, DC is what it is. It's a city and it's, it's what it is. An hour west of that is um, vineyards and like rolling mountains and the Rocky Mountains, literally in Virginia. An hour east of DC is the ocean and the eastern shore of Maryland and the beach and, uh, and that whole thing. And an hour north is Baltimore, like I mentioned, very blue collar and very more northeastern vibe. And an hour, just an hour south of DC is very southern. You're talking Frederick, uh, sorry, Fredericksburg, Virginia, which is just a totally different world, even though it's Virginia and it's close, it's very Southern and much more conservative. So you just get this really nice collection of uh, diversity in such a small area. Um, And then, you know, of course, being on the East Coast, it's like a quick train right up to Philly, quick, quick train right up to New York. It's, It's really great. So is there anything, anything you feel most like, what, what, what are you most optimistic about these days? (laughs) uh my new website (laughs) i've been really working on that pretty hard um i'm I'm really excited about that but um uh right now i'm in a perfect place to just kind of keep doing what i'm doing i think it'll be another few years before i start looking to like to venture out into anything else um i want to shoot weddings for a long long time so there is no like crazy location or type of wedding or anything that I like, desperately want to shoot that I haven't already done. So, um, yeah, I'm just rolling with it right now. Uh, I think I, I, I want to expand the business and take on associates and stuff like that. That's a whole nother thing. That's com- a complete mystery to me <laughs> about how to like approach. So if I can succeed at tackling that, then I'll, I'll feel you know, incredibly good about everything. But so far that that's been a struggle. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question, but no, it's perfect. I'm d- you're, you're, it's all good with Sam. That, that's my <laughs> conclusion. It's all good. <laughs> okay, nice. <laughs> well, this has been cool, man. Uh, I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you in Rome, and I guess Nessa will be there, but not not Peanut the dog. Yeah, I uh, know it's um, his name is Popcorn. Oh, Popcorn. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, popcorn. I thought it was Peanut. <laughs> no, we we do have a cat named Pickles as well. So Pickles won't be here either. But no. yeah, uh, no, we're excited. I love Rome. I was there this year, uh, and yeah, it's an amazing city. So excited to to be back there with you guys. And um, yeah, not much more to say about that. <laughs> cool, man. No, well, thank you very much for uh, taking a slice out of your day to chat. And uh, take care in Baltimore. Thanks. Yeah, you as well. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. That's Sam Hurd, wedding photographer and presenter at Way Up North in Rome, April 2016. If you're interested in more details about Sam or about Way Up North, head over to our website, wayupnorth.co. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram under at wayupnorth, and on Twitter and Snapchat under at WayUpNorthEvent. Thanks for listening and talk soon. This is ACAST Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. 
Hi, folks. This is Rick Wilson from The Daily Beast's The New Abnormal. And I'm Molly Jongfest, a left-wing pundit and editor-at-large at The Daily Beast. I'm also an editor-at-large at The Daily Beast, a former Republican political strategist, best-selling author, and full-time troublemaker. Every Tuesday and Friday, we have fun, sharp conversations with people like Mary Trump, who revealed why her uncle is the worst president we've ever had. Or Ben Stiller on how the world of comedy is changing thanks to our political landscape. Tune in to The New Abnormal to hear us have fun conversations about a world gone mad. ACAST is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts.